what a day it will be when we get to heaven, we see Jesus. He's what will make heaven, heaven. If you, if you took Jesus out of that equation, if you took Jesus out of heaven, then no matter what good was there, it wouldn't be heaven anymore. He's what makes it heaven. And the thing that I am, I think, most looking forward to, among all the things I'm looking forward to in getting to heaven, is being completely, eternally free of any assault from the enemy on my flesh. I'm looking forward to being free from any uh, potential that is always with me and always with you to give in to our sinful nature. I'm looking forward to being rid of all that. I'm looking forward to not having a triple threat constantly coming at me and constantly coming at you. Aren't you looking forward to that? We're, uh, we're still in our triple threat series and where we're, we're talking about this triple threat of assault it's constantly coming our way, constantly coming at us uh, by our, our enemy, Satan, and by our own flesh uh, that's seeking to interfere with and, and disrupt our relationship with God, our communion with Him, and it's just always coming at us. And so we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be on guard against it. And this is uh, a weighty topic, right? It's a, it's a weighty subject that we're talking about, especially today as we continue on in the series. It's a little uncomfortable, but it's also incredibly necessary for us to talk about and for us to discuss and consider together. So uh, today, as we continue on in our triple threat series, we're going to be considering the second thing that John listed in 1 John 2.16, the lust of the eyes. We talked about the lust of the flesh last week. And we're looking at the lust of the eyes this week. And again, this is found in 1 John 2.16 where the apostle writes, For everything in the world, in the world system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions or the pride of life, that's where we'll end up next week, is not from the Father, but is from the world from the world, from the world system, from their agenda, from all that they're promoting and and pushing at us. And zeroing in on the lust of the eyes, uh, I want to suggest to you that lust of the eyes equals coveting with the eyes. Coveting with the eyes. Um, Think back to the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. And there was a whole list of things you're not supposed to covet. You're not supposed to covet your, your neighbor's house or uh, his possessions. You're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife or anything that they have. You're not supposed to covet after anything or anyone. And so coveting, and specifically coveting with the eyes or lusting with the eyes, it's a sinful desire. It's a craving, really. A longing, a craving, an urging, sinful. uh, To have what we see... What's before our eyes, we want it, we want to possess it, we want to have it, and we, we try desperately to get fulfillment or satisfaction from it instead of from God. So it's through your eyes, it's seeing something or someone and desiring it, strongly desiring that, craving it, not being able to get it out of your mind, and wanting to go after that, whatever the object of that is, and to try to get fulfillment 
and satisfaction from it or from them instead of from God. That's, that's kind of in a nutshell what lust of the eyes uh, is about. And using the lust of the eyes specifically has always been a really big part of Satan's temptation strategy. It's always been a big part of what he, he does. He used it successfully with Eve all the way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Um, you know, the Scripture tells us in Genesis 3, 6, that when she, when Eve saw, when she looked with her eyes, when she saw the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, so there's lust of the eyes, she, and it says, and was um, able to make one wise, she took it and she ate of it and gave it to her husband, and then the rest, unfortunately, is a very tragic history. But it all started with the eyes. She saw the forbidden fruit. She saw it. And then the desire for it came. The lust for what she saw followed. So he's been at this a long time, and he did it successfully with Eve. He even tried to use this with Jesus, though he failed. He did fail, but he tried it with Jesus. When Jesus was in uh, the wilderness, after spending 40 days and 40 nights in communion with his Father and praying and fasting, the, the devil came to him and he tempted him. He tried to get him to use his divine privileges, his divine nature for his own agenda, which Philippians 2 tells us he didn't do. He didn't use his divinity for his own advantage, something to be manipulated. Satan tried to take advantage of of him being hungry and tired physically. And he said, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms, kingdoms of the world. And he did. He showed them to Jesus in a glimpse. And he said, all these I have been given authority over, and it's, it's mine to give to whoever I want. And I'll tell you what, Jesus, I'm going to be nice to you and give you the chance to avoid the cross. I, if you will just do one little tiny thing, if you'll fall down and worship me, which Satan wanted from the very beginning, it's when he ascended tried to ascend up to the throne of God, and he said, I'm going to make myself God. That's really what caused the whole rebellion in heaven. It's what caused him to be expelled. It's what made him Satan. Okay, He's always been after that worship, self-exaltation, and others to exalt him. He said, Jesus, if you will just worship me and, and proclaim me as God then all the kingdoms of the world, all their splendor, all their glory, all their riches, all their worship of you, I'll give to you right now. And he did other things. He tried other things. But it it all started with the eyes. What he put before Jesus, hoping that the lust of the eyes would work on him in his humanity, just as it had worked on Adam and Eve. So he's, he's used this over and over again. And the reason he does, the reason our enemy keeps going back to this particular attack, lust of the eyes, is because it's the start to all kinds of other sin. It's the start. The lust of the eyes is where it begins. And it opens up all kinds of other areas of sinfulness and weakness. When 
Our eyes linger, our thoughts will linger as well. You you know what I'm talking about with that? When our eyes set, and for today's purposes, I'm thinking of on someone, okay? When, When our eyes linger, our thoughts follow that, and they will linger there as well. So it's kind of a good philosophy to have, a good mindset to have, is that kind of like that little kid song that many of you grew up singing, so be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little eyes what you see. Because there's so much at stake in what we see, in what we choose to look at, and what we choose to let our eyes rest on, there's so much riding on that. Be careful, be careful little eyes or big eyes as it might be what you see. And the reason we need to be so careful about that is because, as I just said, our thoughts linger on what our eyes linger on. What that leads to is the next reality, and that is that unwholesome thoughts lead to unholy actions. Unwholesome thoughts lead to unholy actions. So right away, you see the progression, don't you? We, we look at, at something or someone, and instead of averting the gaze, instead of, of looking at something else, instead of being very intentional and proactive and on guard, we let our eyes linger. And as we let our eyes linger, our thoughts linger, and they start churning, and they start circulating, and desire comes up. And it's a very, very slippery slope from that point on. And unwholesome thoughts, which are so easily generated, lead to unholy actions. And the most, the most um, powerful, uh, significant example of that, I think, is found in King David with his life, what he chose to do. And before we look at that text, let me just say this. Um, it's, it's easy when you hear a message like this and a topic like this, lust of the eyes or lust in general, it's, it's kind of easy to think of it like, well, this is something that um, is really only meant for a youth group. It's only meant for the teenage mind or maybe a college group. That's really what this kind of topic is meant for. But be careful, church, because that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to think, this isn't applicable to me. I'm, however many years old you are, I've already gone through that. I'm past that. I have other areas of weakness. But, but no, that's what I struggled with when I was a youth. Wrong. Wrong. Don't let Satan convince you of that lie that you don't need to hear this too. That it's not relevant to you just as it is to the 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever year old. It is. And here's the other thing to consider. It's also easy to believe that this kind of topic, this kind of issue, is something that really only men struggle with. That's another lie of the enemy. He wants you women to tune out. It's something, church, that is universally a struggle. It's something that is universally an assault and an attack that the enemy 
uses against us. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a teenager or a senior, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're all susceptible to this particular assault, to the lust of the eyes. Okay, So keep that in mind as we go forward. Very important to remember. So I said unwholesome thoughts lead to unholy actions, and there is this incredible, sad and tragic, but incredible, relevant example of that in the form of King David. Second Samuel 11, 1 through 5 is, is where I want to draw your attention to. Second Samuel 11, 1 through 5. The Word of God says this, In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw... Did, is he really seeing what he thinks he's seeing? Is that... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. A very beautiful woman. David has insomnia. He usually would have been off at war with his troops, but for whatever reason, he stayed home. Not usually his, his normal practice. And by the way, at this point in his life, he's at least in his late 40s, probably early 50s, okay? So he's not, he's not a, just a young, young man anymore, right? That's important to note, especially with what I just said a couple minutes ago about what we have to keep in mind being something that we all struggle with. So he has insomnia. He's strolling around on the roof. He looks around over the city of Jerusalem, and there he sees it. More specifically, there he sees her. He sees her. And this was not a situation, unfortunately, where he saw the scene and looked away. You're like, oh my, no, I I don't want to be seeing that. That's not what we're, we're talking about here. This was not a situation where he saw and looked away. Rather, he saw it and kept seeing it. He saw her and kept seeing her. In other words, he gazed at her. His his eyes lingered, and just like we said happens, so did his thoughts. His thoughts lingered as well on what his eyes were lingering on. Verse 3, so David sent someone to inquire about her. Right? Alarms going off all over the place. David silenced him, kept hitting him, just like we do every morning when we get up. Right? Five more minutes, five more minutes. Yeah, he was just silencing the alarms that had to be going off. David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, he said the person that David sent, and then, you know, Came, came and reported back, he said, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hethite? Uriah, by the way, was David's, one of his most trusted allies, a member of his inner circle, the elite guard, and one of his closest friends. He knew who she was. He knew Uriah very well. He'd probably been in their home many times. There was a relationship there, but it didn't stop him. You, should, you would have thought David would have said, oh, so that's my best friend's wife? Oh, well, that's, that's enough for me. I, I'm going to stop right there. 
Oh, David, David, David. Verse 4, David sent messengers, messengers to get her, his friend's wife, which he knew. And when she came to him, following the king's order, when she came to him, he slept with her. Unwholesome thoughts lead to unholy actions. Now, she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterward, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. Whoa. This is, of course, about Bathsheba. And this is one of, if not the most, tragic moments and chapters in David's life and his story. And what he shows us so vividly, his failure here, his fall, what it shows us so vividly and what we have to agree with and keep in mind, Christian, is that lust of the eyes is never just a little thing. Lust of the eyes is never just a little thing, an innocent thing. It's just never that. Um, pause. Who, uh, who likes candy? Who has a sweet tooth? Who, who has a sweet tooth? Probably just about everybody, right? You guys have sweet, yeah. Timo's got a sweet teeth. He's got a whole mouthful of sweet teeth, right? Let's see. Here you go. Catch that? All right, good. Who else has sweet teeth or tooth? Timo, man, you're, you're killing me. I've got to walk all the way back here. Here you go. Oh, interception. All right, I'm going to hit Ross in the head. No, not really. There you go. Ross, I think you need one. I think you need one. Oh, all right, I've got, I've got one left. I don't have enough for everybody. Let's see. Somebody over here. All right, ready? Oh, oh, there we go. Yep. All right, so you guys enjoy that. Enjoy that candy. Uh, it's nice and sweet and it'll tide you over maybe a little bit till lunchtime, right? Um, not really. Guess what? That little, tiny, wonderful piece of candy has a lot of stuff that's bad for you. Yeah. You know how many grams of fat are in that little, tiny piece of candy? You know how many grams of sugar? Oh my goodness. In just one little piece. Calories? Whoa. I mean, just in that tiny little piece of sugar and chocolate and deliciousness is a lot of stuff that's really terrible for you to eat, and you're just now eating it. I hope someone doesn't have diabetes that I gave that to. That would be bad. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a little candy, right? That's probably what you're thinking. Ah, it doesn't matter. Sugar, calories, fat. I mean, that's a little tiny piece. It's not going to matter at all. But it's still... That little tiny piece is still full of those things, those things that are bad for you that you all of us should try to avoid and do probably a, a better job of than we usually do, right? Um, and it doesn't take long for a little bit of those things to add up to a whole lot, right? That's the other problem with those things. It's just about impossible to stop with just one, right? Your brain's already telling you that you're, I want more, give me more. That's what your brain's telling you for those of you who are eating that. And that's the problem. So what looks like and appears to be just this little tiny thing and this indulging 
momentarily that you did, just this little brief indulging into that candy, um, while you might be saying, "Ah, it's okay, it's just one, it's just a little bit, the potential is there for it to be a lot of what is bad for you, to actually potentially even cause a lot of damage. That's how it works with lust of the eyes, church. Indulging in a little eye candy often causes a lot of damage. There's really no such thing as a little harmless eye candy. It's not, it's not true. A little eye candy can do a lot of damage. And King David can certainly identify with that. He would agree with that. His son Solomon would absolutely agree with that. I mean, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Oy vey! Solomon had some issues. We know he did because all those women that he lusted after, they took his heart away from God and caused him to actually worship false gods. All that started with the women that he chased after and pursued and lusted after. Indulging in a little eye candy often causes a lot of damage. Here's the message we're inundated with. Here's the the message that constantly comes our way that we are bombarded with day in, day out, through almost every television show, no matter what it is, every commercial it seems like, all of social media. Here's the message. Look and lust, just don't touch. Look and lust, just don't touch. As long as you don't act on what you're seeing and thinking about, you're fine. That's the message from the world. That's the world's approach. That's the world's system talking. Look and lust, just don't touch. But what we have to ask ourselves is, what did Jesus say about this? What did Jesus say on the matter? He's he's the source of truth. He's the authority on all things in life that we've got to keep coming back to. It doesn't matter what the message is from the world. What matters is what is the message from our Savior? What does He have to say about it? That's how we, well, we, have, we have to do that with everything in life. We have to keep coming back to what does God say about this? Whatever this is. And as it relates to this matter, lust of the eyes, here's what Jesus had to say. Matthew 5, 27 through 28, he says this, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. In other words, everything short of actually committing adultery, you're fine. You're fine. That was like the prevailing wisdom of the day. Okay, You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, this is the Son of God, the eternal Word speaking here, I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the same would work for you women out there too. This is, even though it's written from, about you know, the male, uh, from that perspective, it's certainly not limited to men. The, the idea is this, works, this is true for everybody, Okay. So, again, I would say, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Lust of the eyes, church, is never, 
ever innocent or insignificant. It's actually insidious. And the reason it's so insidious is because lust of the eyes, it, it demeans and objectifies people that are image bearers of God. It demeans them and it objectifies them. Image bearers of God, just like you are. And when we, when we lust after anyone, that's what we're doing. We're reducing them down to just this object. And, and we're using them as nothing more than the means to feed our own sinful desire and craving. Isn't that awful when you think of it that way? That's the reality of lust. That's the reality of lust of the eyes. That's what happens. That's why it's not innocent. It's not insignificant. It's insidious. My friends, lust of the eyes is a doorway to indulging in and satisfying physical, sexual desires that, hear me on this, that are only meant for the person you're going to marry or the person you're already married to. That's the only person that God has for you in your life to satisfy and to fulfill His beautiful divine plan of sexual interaction. It's always meant to be confined to the marriage relationship. So if you're not married yet, you have no business indulging in or awakening physical sexual desires. And if you're already married, you have no business letting anyone, whether it's someone you don't know on the TV screen or on your phone or someone right next to you that you see every day, you have no business extending that fulfillment beyond your marriage relationship. Many people that now say, I wish I'd never, started off saying, that will never be me. And it took just a little, a little bit of lust that led to more and more and more. A little bit of looking, lingering when there shouldn't have been lingering, that caused the thoughts to linger, that led to unwholesome thoughts, that led to unholy actions, that led to absolute disaster. And you know people like that. Maybe they're part of your family. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you have personally experienced that. It doesn't, none of us are above that. We're all one little decision away from total disaster. But for the grace of God, and but for absolute determination on our part, so go all of us. No one wakes up and decides, hmm, I think I'm going to completely destroy my life today. No. No one gets up and says, I feel like ruining my most important relationship. It's not how it happens, is it? No, it's a slow fade. It's an erosion. It's provisions made for lust and then multiplied. It's little compromises here, little surrenders there. And then it all adds up and it snowballs. And you look back and you say, well, how did I get so far away from where I, I was? Christian, we must 
we must fight against the lust of the eyes. We've got to stop taking it sitting down and laying down without any guard up or resistance or without any fight. We, it's like we, we know we're in a battle, a spiritual battle of the eyes, of the mind, of the heart, and yet we go out onto the battlefield in our pajamas instead of in our armor. And then we wonder why we're so easily defeated. We've got to wake up. We've got to fight against the lust of the flesh. And you, and you might say, okay, yeah, great, I agree. Yep, that's true. But how? How? How is always the most important question to ask when we're talking about things like this, right? How do I do it? Well, I want to I give you that. I want to provide the how, how we fight. And the first, the first very important step in our fight against lust of the flesh, or excuse me, lust of the eyes, it works for lust of the flesh too, but especially as we're talking about today, lust of the eyes is by making a personal covenant, a personal covenant. Job 31.1 is what I'm talking about by saying that, and it's a very good practice for us to have. Here's what Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes in contrast to coveting with my eyes, which is what lust of the eyes is. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. I covenanted with my own eyes that I would not lead them to linger on on a woman in a lustful way. And again, the same thing is applicable to you ladies with with men. That's that's the first thing that we need to do, all of us. And, And here's the other thing. We need to renew that covenant all the time. It's not a one and done thing. I mean, every moment, every day, we renew that covenant with my eyes. I will not use my eyes for lustful purposes. I will not do it. Personal covenant. And the second way we fight is this. Change the object of your gaze. Think back to David with Bathsheba. He saw, he didn't look away, he gazed, right? So, what we have to do is what David should have done, and that's change the object of your gaze. What I mean by that is uh, what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us which we can all say amen to. Let us, after we do that, let, you know, lay aside, get, get those hindrances and, and obstacles out of the way and, and the, the sin that acts as this big weight around us and just ensnaring us. Get it all out. Remove it. Get rid of it. And then let us run with endurance the race, the Christian race, the Christian life that lies before us. And as we run, as we run this race with endurance, this is the most important part. This is the changing your gaze. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, where, by the way, Christian, He ever lives to intercede for you. He ever lives to plead and intercede for you. As you're here running this race, as you're here facing temptation after temptation, as you're here being under assault daily by this triple threat, you have a Savior who went before you, who was tempted in all ways as you are, yet without sin, and who is now at the right hand of His Father interceding for your help. Isn't that awesome? And because you have that Savior who endured the cross, I mean, you think, you think about how hard it is to endure temptation personally. You think about how hard it is to endure your sinful nature here and now, and it is, but it is nothing compared to what your Savior endured for you. And He was willing to do it anyway, out of love for you. He went to the cross for you, and now He intercedes for you. Don't you think that's worth deliberately changing our gaze? Don't you think He's worth it? Saying no to the flesh, saying no to lust, and saying yes to Him? Oh, He's worth it. He's so worth it. So, what I mean by all of this, and and the answer to all of this is, it's really simple hard to do consistently, but it's really simple in concept. The way to fight against the lust of the eyes and all other forms of lust, all other forms of sin, the way to do it is to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Think of that Think of that, that beautiful, old, well-known song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth and all the lust that's part of it will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the example. It's a sad and unfortunate example with David. But yet, I thank You for it because if we will choose to, we can learn so much from His example. Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat its mistakes. Father, may that not be us. May we learn from being able to read about men and women of the faith that still in their humanity, in their flesh, made really, really horrible choices with tragic consequences. May we learn from their example so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. May we see the hole in the ground that they fell into so that we can walk around it knowing it's there. Thank you for the example of King David. And thank you that he didn't stay there. Even though he failed, he did fail epically, and there were tragic consequences. Because of his repentance and because of your grace, he was able to move forward, he was able to move beyond it, and he was still called a man after your own heart. 
Father, help us to be on guard against the lust of the eyes. Help us to fight it. Not just to say, oh, it's nothing. It's just some small insignificant thing. As long as I don't act on it, I'm okay. It's just a little thing. It's a little bit of eye candy. It's no big deal. Father, help us to reject that for what it is, a lie of the enemy and another strategy of his to get us to fall. Help us rather to make a constant covenant personally with our eyes and to constantly change our gaze from the stuff of the world, the stuff of the flesh, and rather to set our gaze on your Son, our Savior. Empower us to do this, I pray, by your Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.